We find our text this morning in the 125th Psalm, Psalm 125. Let us then read together this Psalm. Psalm 125 has above it subscription, a song of ascents. Psalm 125 reads as follows. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So far, our text. May God bless his word as it is proclaimed this morning. After the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing in response from the same psalm, Psalm 125, all stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the key idea we need to grasp in order to understand and appreciate Psalm 125 is the idea of stability and security. It was for this reason that I preached this psalm in Barhead on the first Sunday of the new year, when you don't know what the new year will bring your way. But this psalm is timely to consider at every point in time, and here we are approaching the midpoint of this year, to be reminded that the Lord gives security to his people, that he keeps us safe so that we can be strong and stable and courageous and hopeful, even in the midst of most difficult of circumstances, because we know that the Lord is among us, the Lord is with us, the Lord is guiding us. Psalm 125 says that God's people cannot be moved. To say it another way, the people of God are unshakable. Now that said, there is the potential for some misunderstanding, for speaking in a most negative sense, to be unshakable, to be an unshakable person, can be someone who is stubborn, hard-nosed, immovable, unwilling to change. But that's not what Psalm 125 is talking about. Rather, in listening to this psalm and reflecting upon it, we should understand the unshakability spoken of in this psalm in the best positive sense to mean this. As God's people, we are not easily pushed around. We are not tossed to and fro by the waves of opposition and turmoil. Rather, we are firmly grounded, secure, safe, protected. And when you think about it, isn't that what you really most want to hear this morning? With all the uncertainties of life, with all the violence and injustice in this world, 
with all the grim forecasts of the future, isn't it a great relief to be here in the house of the Lord, reflecting upon the fact that we are unshakable? And so I draw your attention to Psalm 125, and I proclaim God's word to you this morning under this theme. In this unstable world, those who trust in the Lord will be unshakable. This confidence is first founded on faith. We'll see that in verses one and two. Secondly, this confidence is kept secure despite difficulty. We see that in verse three. And lastly, this confidence is rewarded with a good outcome. We see that in verses four and five. First, the believer's confidence is founded on faith. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Consider the picture that was drawn in our text to show what it means to be a member of God's people, what it was like to be an Old Testament Israelite, and to expand upon that, what it is like to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. As verse 1 describes, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Our minds are directed here to the the landscape and the the geography of Israel. And that fits with the occasion of this psalm, for it is a song of ascents. It's one of those songs that would be sung by the Israelites as they traveled up from their various towns up in, in, in Israel, up to Jerusalem, to one of the various feast occasions. And to do that, they had to climb an incline to reach Jerusalem, to reach Mount Zion, to reach the temple, to reach the place of worshiping God, the place where God's presence was most strongly felt. And as you think about this picture, as the Israelites are making their way up towards Jerusalem, they see the mountain in the distance getting closer and closer And they see that God has designed Mount Zion and Jerusalem in in such a, a way that the mountains surround that very center of worship. Jerusalem was nestled within a mountainous region. It was safe, it was protected, it was secure. And that was important in that day when your enemies surrounded you. It's hard for us to grasp what that would be like for us to imagine that because we live in an environment of peace where where we are not surrounded by physical enemies that are poised to overthrow us and desire nothing more than to see us ruined and destroyed. At least it's not so noticeable to us. So as worshipers are going up to the temple, they reflect upon that security And inspired by the Spirit of God, the psalmist looks up and sees how Mount Zion is protected by surrounding mountains, and he sees this as a picture, a picture, an image of what God's people are like amid all the difficulties and threats and uncertainties. There's rock-solid assurance that God's people are protected because they are God's people. And for think about who is being described here. It's not just everybody being described. It's those who trust in the Lord. It's those who live by faith. It's those who belong as members of the church of Jesus Christ, as those who profess their faith, they and their descendants after them. 
It's a reminder in this psalm that we ought to be very careful where we place our trust, where we find our security. That leads us to the question, where are you placing your security? When you look ahead, when you make your plans, when you are thinking about your family, when you're thinking about your business, the church, the future of the nation, and where, which direction they're all going, where do you find your security? What finally makes you feel secure when you lie down at night, place your head on your pillow and go to sleep? There's a warning here because there are many people who look for security in all the wrong places. In Israel's day, it could have been their fortifications, could have been their army, could have been their king or country. And this could, have been, this could be just as true for us today. People put their confidence in military might or superior weaponry or advanced technology or law enforcement or medical care or expertise. Others put their hope in the economy, in their investments, in their finances or in self-reliance, trusting in their own strength, their own intelligence and ability. Some people even take for granted that the earth is secure the very earth that we walk upon or stand upon or sit upon as we are right now. You may know people like I do who are terrified of of traveling in a boat, can't handle it, more than just a fear of of getting seasick. They cannot handle the, the instability of being on water. And they're overjoyed if they have to cross a body of water and they return to solid ground and plant their feet again on solid ground. But even that solid ground, is it really so solid? For there might come an earthquake and everything shakes and moves up and down and is in flux. Or when a a sinkhole suddenly appears out of nowhere, it all goes to show that even the earth, the terra firma, that we think will never move but remain stable always and support us, even the earth beneath our feet is not ultimately trustworthy in that sense. And our Lord Jesus warned of this mentality as well when he spoke of the farmer, that farmer who in all his prosperity saw all that was coming his way, all that was coming in, and he thought he had to build bigger barns. And we'd think, That's a good farmer. That's a smart farmer, a wise farmer. That's a farmer who is thinking ahead. But the problem was that he thought his security rested in his financial investments, in his business smarts, in his business tact. But the Lord said of him, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be taken from you And that's exactly what happened. And there's another danger as well when it comes to misplaced trust. Think of the Israelites journeying up to Jerusalem. There may well have been those who called themselves Israelites who were not people who professed faith in the God of Israel. There comes a time later on in the days of Jeremiah the prophet when 
the prophet would warn the people in Jeremiah 7 about the danger of thinking that they can find their security simply by saying, we belong to this people. We, we can identify with these people at the temple. We even might go there to worship and we might do all that's expected of us to do and, and that's our security. Jeremiah says, don't be deceived. The same could very well be said of the church in our day of age, day and age. Do we think that by simply having one's name in, in the membership books or by simply going through the motions, doing what's expected of us, attending church services a number of times each Lord's Day throughout the year, that that bumps us up into a, a certain position of security? It doesn't work that way. No, it's those who believe who are firm and, and, and unshakable. It's about those who believe, it says here, that they will be like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. And this picture is then taken from another angle in verse 2, where it says that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. What a wonderful, powerful picture for a people who always had their enemies breathing down their necks, as it were. Remember how the Lord had instructed his people not to build fortifications or to make treaties with foreign nations? Why did the Lord command that? Command them not to do that? Because in the, in the ancient world, that was where you you secured your peace. That's how you secured your future. That's how you remained politically, socially, economically stable. The Lord says, no, that's not what we are about. Believe in me. Trust in me. And the same warning is for us today. If you think that your ultimate security is tied into anywhere else apart from God, you will be sorely mistaken and you will come up empty, starving, dead. You will arrive at the day of judgment without anything to support you, nothing underneath you to carry you. But for those who face adversity and hardship or experiencing the pain of living in a broken world, what a wonderful comfort in the midst of suffering in the midst of physical pain, in the midst of spiritual struggle, the Lord comes to you and says, you know if you put your trust in me, you will be unshakable. You will be surrounded by the greatest care imaginable. It's unimaginable. Not even the most severe hardship will take you away from me. So that is the rock-solid foundation of faith. We secondly see that the believer's confidence is kept secure despite difficulty. What comforts God's people, brothers and sisters, is the knowledge that the wicked will not prevail. We see this in verse 3. The comfort is not the promise or the guarantee that God's people will, will never experience hard times or troubling times or that there will be no enemies to face. In fact, quite often, it's just the opposite. 
that those who profess faith in Jesus Christ actually face more severe opposition. But here's the point the psalmist wants us to know, what the Lord wants us to know, is that the wicked will not prevail. For the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now the scepter was a a symbol of power and dominion. If you held a scepter, it meant that you were reigning, you were ruling, you're in control. Well, who does the psalmist say is holding the scepter? The wicked. You see, difficulties do not disappear as soon as someone becomes a Christian. In fact, they may actually increase. Why? Because we live in a world that is broken by sin. We live in a world where the enemy still seeks to destroy us. Satan has been put on a leash, says Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 20. And yet he prowls around like a roaring lion says the Apostle Peter. But think also of the other struggles that we experience. For some, it it might be depression. For some, it might be a struggle with doubt. Maybe you feel spiritually you are lagging and you are not where you hoped you would be or where you know you ought to be. But think of the experience of Israel then in, in that regard. They had their high moments They crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army were destroyed in the sea and the people sing afterwards. They're ecstatic. They're over the moon. And yet only a short time later, what are they doing? They're bowing down to a golden calf, an idol. They struggled. They doubted. And certainly all of us face our own spiritual struggles Maybe it's because we have unrealistic expectations of what the Christian life is supposed to be like or going to be like. Maybe it's because we have drifted from the word and we're not spending time in the word as, like we ought to be. Maybe it's because we're living our lives completely contrary to God's will for his people and, and we experience the fallout and the misery of that. But there's also pain and and suffering, which is a real and continual threat. The psalmist says evil will not ultimately win. This is what the Apostle Paul assures us of in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation, no trial has been given to you that is greater than you can bear, than you can handle. Whatever form that trial takes, maybe it's severe physical or health troubles or severe financial hardship or family breakdown or cyclical pattern of sin, a struggle against sin that you cannot overcome, cannot conquer. God says, I will not give you more than you can handle. My grace is sufficient for you. Or there might even be the feeling that you might fall away from God that the, the tendency of your heart is to want to turn away from him, to drift and, and maybe to give it up and give it up and quit, to choose an easier path than the life of faith. The Lord nowhere in the Bible gives us the illusion that the Christian life won't be difficult. It has its share of troubles and enemies, 
But God assures us of this. The wicked will not have the last word. Isn't that a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, to think upon the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the risen king who now reigns and will reign until every enemy of his and ours is defeated? That's amazing. That's why we can trust him For in the long run, evil will not have the last word. That's what the psalmist is saying. But there is a warning evident here as well. The righteous must not use their hands to do evil. For if they persist in doing evil, they thereby reject the Lord and he will reject them. For the Lord is not to be mocked. His justice will prevail. His kingdom will have the final victory. We then finally see in the third place, the believer's confidence is rewarded with a good outcome. In verses four and five, we see that all things work together for those who trust God. It's actually a prayer that God's people would pray as they made their way up to Jerusalem saying, do good, O Lord, to those who do good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Now, this is not the language of give us material prosperity and material blessings, nor is it the language that we are good because of our good works. No, those who do good are the same as those who are upright and heart, as well as those who were mentioned earlier, who put their trust in the Lord. The prayer of these pilgrims then was something like this, Lord, as, as we are on this journey, for some of us, a very difficult d- journey, as we taste the dust that's kicked up off the path, as we walk, as we, as we trek under the, the burning heat of the sun, we pray, Lord, bless us, Equip us, strengthen us for this, no matter how difficult and how challenging it may be, even if the road be filled with pain and misery, Lord, give us the strength to work through it, to deepen our trust because of it. Refine us and mold us and shape us. Help us to rely on you and to look to you constantly. But their prayer was also more than that. Their prayer was also that God would bring his justice upon the wicked. They would say, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Well, what we see here in verses four and five then is the Old Testament anticipation of Romans eight, where Paul says, and remember this is Paul the prisoner, this is Paul the missionary who had been beaten many times over, left for dead, rejected by the people, by so many people, suffered poverty, suffered so much pain, bore in his body, as he says in, in Galatians 6, 17, uh, the, the marks of Jesus, not speaking of some Christian tattoo. He was referring to the the scars he received, the, the stripes he earned for no other reason than that he professed the name of Jesus Christ and he preached the name of Jesus Christ. And through all of his suffering, through all of his hardship, Paul could say, if God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Now there's one sense in which we could say there's a great deal that could be against us. There are many things that are poised to destroy us just as there were many things poised to, to destroy the Israelites. We have the devil, the world, our own flesh notwithstanding. The Christian life is certainly not a walk in the park. If you think it is, you're probably missing something, not living up to the calling God has given in his word. But the Lord calls us to look to him who can easily overcome all opposition. If God is for us, who can be against us? For as we read earlier, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave up his son to rescue you out of your sin, to give you eternal life and hope for the future. Why would we ever think that he would ever withhold anything that you need? For I am convinced, says Paul, that nothing in life, in death, or any place else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, is that your focus when you are faced with trials? How will you remain standing and persevere? Above all else, we stand by faith. We stand by the Lord's protection. We stand in the Lord's care and we stand by the Lord's grace and promises. And so we can say because of him and only because of him and his love for us in, in Jesus Christ, I am unshakable. And that brings us to the final words of our text, a, a benediction, a blessing upon God's people. Peace be upon Israel. Think of it like this. As they travel up to the temple, the Israelites have this prayer on their lips, shalom. The Hebrew word peace, meaning not just the absence of war, but peace in the sense of life lived to the full, life being what life ought to be. May that be true for us. May that peace be ours. That was their prayer. And may that be our prayer as well. Peace will not come in any other way. Peace won't come by compromise, by giving in to the world and the ways of the world, the mindset of the world. Peace comes by trust in the Lord, trust in his word. Peace comes through Jesus Christ, whose death was the price that had to be paid in order for us to be given this peace. And we don't know what, what the next year will bring. We don't know what the next day will bring or the next hour. Will it be good times or hard times? Will it be health or sickness? Will it be riches or poverty? We don't know. But through it all, what keeps us grounded what makes us stable and secure, it is that God is watching over us, guarding us, keeping us. He is our Father, your Father, giving you protection, giving you salvation, promising you, to give you and fill you with eternal assurance so that you can say, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Amen.